and I didn't know what I was going to do. And Leon and Mary Russell were very kind to me. And that, so I ended up working with them and really being on the road and doing a bunch of stuff with them. So I actually could make money and live and get an apartment and, you know, do all that stuff. Well, I know you went on to work with like a who's who of A-listers just about. Yeah, Donna what? Summer. Donna Summer, another unbelievably great person. Donna Summer, oh my God, what a woman, what a lady, what a friend, what a person. So smart, so talented, so fun, and so kind. I mean, I really cannot say anything less. Did you sing on her, uh, her shows or her records also? On her on her live performances, we went to the Philippines, we went to South America, we went everywhere. And she was such a good person to work for. And anybody that worked for her will tell you that. She was so generous. I mean, just crazy generous. Just, she didn't want you to spend your money that you were working for on anything. No, you like it? Don't get that. Don't spend on that. And then you get on the plane and she'd come and drop it in your lap, whatever it is you were looking at. She would buy it for you. Wow. It's like, Donna, don't let Donna see you looking at anything. She'll buy it. You know, like it was like that. She would buy it for you because she said, you, you, you're working for your money to save your money. You know, don't spend it on this stuff it's too expensive oh don't get that oh that's so overpriced and then you get on the on the on the on the plane and she just comes by and drops a bag in your lap and you're like oh, what donna you know like like that she was a prankster she would play jokes on people she was so much fun such a lovely person i, I have my own quick donna summer related story but i never got to meet her but my sister worked in uh, publicity for Casablanca Records when Donna Summer first came what on. What was her name? Uh, she went by the name of Lynn Francis. And she was at Epic and CBS and in Casablanca for a while. Um, but she gave me Donna Summer's first record and no one really knew who Donna Summer was yet then. And so I'm like, you know, a teen and I'm playing in my bedroom this Love to Love You Baby with all the <laughs> orgasmic sounds and everything. And my mom was yeah. like, what the hell is that? But uh, <laughs> pretty funny stuff. And I got a bunch of like autographed stuff my sister got me and that was very cool. Well, Donna was an amazing person. And I mean, the world was a happier place with her in it because she was so much fun. She loved to laugh. And she would make you laugh. She was she could clown and with the best of them and make you laugh your face off. You know, she was really fun. I always felt like she was a character, you know. She was. Yeah. She was such a character. And she would do a, you know, of course she'd be doing all the someday he'll come along. The man I love. You know, she'd be so great on stage and so dramatic and all that. Made up and all the makeup and the hair and the clothes and everything. But underneath, she was just a really nice family person. So fun. I really miss her. And when um, I, I was working with her, I had already started working with her when I got diagnosed with cancer. And she just went all out for me. She really did, you know, so I was very fortunate to know her, work for her and have her really be a real friend. I want to just I'm going to go through real fast and just name this list I have of some of the folks you work with. So viewers have an idea of, um, you know, who they are and the variety and um, um, Rufus, Billy Preston, The Gap Band, Roseanne Cash, Tower of Power. Smokey Robinson, Rita Coolidge, Simple Minds, um, Celine Dion, John Bon Jovi, the Doobie Brothers, uh, Sammy Hagar, Bonnie Raitt, right? All of them, and I and I still know uh, uh, some of those people. Still know them. Bonnie Raitt, I still know her. She's great. She's wonderful, incredible. Another incredible woman artist who has just stood the test of time and who has remained, you know, just just a, a steady, constant, unchanging friend and wonderful woman, you know, just 
incredible professional woman. You know, she's great. Yeah. And all of those people, Bon Jovi, incredibly nice man and very, very family oriented, you know, and, and uh, kind and fun, you know, people that do me. I love when people do, when you are around a group of people, a bunch of people who are doing what they love, it's hard to be unhappy. <laughs> you know, it's hard to be an unhappy drawl, you know, sourpuss, you know, it's, when you're around people who are doing, and you, you love their music, and of course they love their music, and the fact that you love their music and you contribute well to it, then like I work with Gino Vanelli and those, it was like, it's really, it's, it's, it's really fun. It's just fun. And you have some, some of the greatest laughs and moments and great moments on stage and creative moments. It's, uh, it all goes together. And at the same time, we're all on this journey of life. And just to be able, because everybody's on their way to somewhere. Everybody you know, everybody you meet, everybody you love, people you don't even like that much. Everybody is still on a journey. And if your paths cross and converge at any point, there's a reason for it. And you learn something from them or they say something funny that you carry with you always, or you get to do a great song together and you have an incredible moment that stays in your mind that you know is like really a gift from the universe that you share together, that kind of thing. You just don't, you don't get to have that just doing, you know, something else that's different from this. So to be able to be a part of it, be in it, some people get, have great success and they get super rich and, and they do really well. But then there are people that do it because they love it and they still live well. They're just not super famous, but they still are very talented mm -hmm. and they make other people's music happen. And where would we be without those people? So I think we're all valuable and we all contribute something to that to that group, that meeting of minds and hearts and spirits. There, there's so much diversity within that musically. You know, is there any type of music that you prefer more one over the other, or do you find any uh, more challenging than the other? Oh, that's a good question. Because I met Celine, Celine Dion before she ever came to America and had a record here. And I saw her on a, a, well, we had played there. That's when I'd done the live in Montreal. I'm just talking about music now, the music in general. I loved the music of the Gap Band. Really liked their songs and their productions. And that was a lot of fun because it really, the thing that made those records really great is that it really captured the spirit of who they, those, they are all those giggles and whistles and stuff that Charlie does. He's been doing that stuff since he was a kid. That's really Charlie, you know? So, and the funny, the, the running jokes that we still have that are still so great and, and fun, that's, that's really them. And you never thought about it being such a commercial, quote unquote, success. And because it was just fun to us as kids. And now the world embraces that, that we thought was great, which means like we must have pretty good taste. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that music, the music of Celine Dion, which is actually David Foster's too, in, in the middle of that, which I always liked David Foster. I never met him before I got to do the Celine Dion. Well, yes, I did. I've worked on a couple other things with him, but, but, when I told Celine, she said, oh, I want to come to America. I said, well, I had saw her on this amateur video show in Montreal. I walked out of the hotel and she was standing out there wanting to go to, because to, we were doing a live, uh, not, uh, like an in uh, after party after the concert at Hard Rock Cafe Montreal. So it was a ton of people, the radio station, it was people all crowded on the street. They had shut the street down. And so she, I had drug her down there with me and pulled her in to the building because we, we were going. And I said, Gino, you have to hear this girl sing. And he goes, oh, little Celine, little Celine, yeah, we know her. Like that. 
I said, but her voice is like, he's like, yeah, we know her, you know, she's been around, you know, and he kind of like fluffed it off, like, cause he already knew who she was and yeah, we know her, you know, oh, you just, yeah, we know her, but they didn't, and I thought they should, you should, he and Joe should like try to produce her. That was my thinking, but they didn't have that. They didn't see that. So my advice to her was like, just, you have to be seen and you have to be heard. Because your voice is really special. And if people can hear that voice, you're going to get what you want. And the next time I saw her, maybe a couple of years after that, I get called to do a session. We go out to David's place and he wasn't there. He had all the singers there to sing background. And they said, he's gone to the airport to pick up the artist. We didn't know who it was going to be. When she, when he comes back, uh, we're having lunch, waiting for them at the studio she wants, he says, oh, I want to introduce everybody. I'm, my back is to them because I'm having my food. And I turn around and I look right in Celine, Celine Dion's face and she immediately screams, Maxine, like that. And everybody goes, Maxine, you know everybody. And I go like, no, I don't. But it was Celine Dion. And it was, I, I couldn't, it was like, oh my God. She goes, oh, I made it. I'm in America, like that. And everybody was looking at us like, what are you guys, how do you guys know each other? And then she tells David the story and, and the rest is history, as they say. I knew that her voice was world-class and I told her that. I said, your voice is world-class. You have something really super special. And if people just hear it, they're gonna be affected by it. And the right people will be affected and you will get to do this because that voice cannot go unheard, you know? And, the, and, it, it, and I knew that. So I've always been interested in voices and I teach vocals and I teach a method of voice. So as, as fate would have it, the same method that Celine Dion is, has been taught because she's gone through vocal classes as well since she was a child and everything she is like textbook for how placement everything breathing everything but she's also very creative and expressive so that which when you watch her and listen to her sing you can hear the method at work and I'm I'm teaching a method is very similar to that to help mm -hmm. singers really learn how to operate their voice and not blow it out and always have, and have a youthfulness and a, a vibrancy that will always be with you. Well, I like to hear the real singers, not the ones that are uh, producer, uh, auto-tune, you know, and all yes. that stuff. Yes, of course. Real voices. That's, that's I, I major in real voices and helping people to really find their own creative voice. That's important because a lot of times young singers always think they have to sound like somebody else, like Rihanna or uh, uh, what's the little girl's name? Ariana Grande. And everybody's talking about her whistle tones and all this stuff. It's like Mariah Carey did whistle tones. That's not new. But what does, I mean, how many songs does, now Mariah Carey wrote her music. That's, the, that's what sets her apart is that she's a really great writer. And that's what put her on the map, aside from her having a great voice and having some great skills with that voice. But she also wrote her songs. Ariana Grande, does she write anything? I think she's she has a great voice, but I think she's produ producers put her, her packets together with songs she's going to sing and what she's going to do. That's a completely different kind of artist, you know, but... I still have a lot of respect for Mariah, even though she's not been singing so much lately, but she's a true artist. She really is, you know? I wanted to um, ask you, Maxanne, you know, when I look back at the era from um, Maxanne, the band, you know, and groups like um, Mother's Finest and Rufus mm -hmm. with Shaka Khan, you know, yeah. there was sort of a very similar template and of course they became better known. And how do you feel about that? Do you feel like, hey, we, I, was there, I was there sooner. Why didn't we hit it like that? Well, you know, um, I, I, at, at first I kind of felt like that, but I don't feel like that now. 
And I I got over that a long time ago because Shaka is 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 uh, uh, forced to be reckoned with. I mean, not just because she was in Rufus and all that, but her voice is like again, that's a that's a voice the world should should hear. And it has something really special in it. Really special. Like Celine has something really special. Mother's Finest was a great group, but they didn't have the success either of say Rufus and Shaka Khan. But they also but it also there's a, a number of things that have to be in alignment, like material. And Rufus had some great writers in the band, but outside the band, they had some great writers that were friends of the band that came with material. And then again, having a a person, a singer of the magnitude of Shaka Khan who could interpret it in her own way and bring her own creative voice to those songs. That's what, that was the magic of Rufus. That's what made it happen. So even though, and Mother's Finest had some great, they had a couple of great hits, but they didn't have the longevity and the staying power like Rufus did because they attracted attention like Quincy Jones because Quincy heard the same thing I did. They had something, a, a, a very interesting configuration of people and talent and the sound of how it all locked together. And then you put Shaka on top of that. And it was something that was unique and different. Now, I don't think that um, Mother's Finest had that kind of uniqueness to it. They were good. They were funky. Joyce can sing. She's beautiful. But not that, the, all of the other elements that make that something like Tony Maiden's guitar, definitely a sound to be reckoned with. You don't find that sound everywhere, just like Marlo Henderson's guitar in Max Ant. You don't find that sound. That was something you, you if, having Tony in that and Bobby Watson. That was like pretty, that was brilliant. And then Fred Allen, um, well, Fred Allen wasn't part of it, but when the, the band that Tony and Bobby were in before they joined Rufus was a band called High Voltage. And the lead vocalist of that band was a woman named Lalomi Washburn. Mm -hmm. Lolomi Washburn didn't have that kind of voice as a Shaka Khan, but she had a great voice, but she was a great songwriter. So they pulled in some of Lolomi's writing when they joined Rufus, they said, Lolomi, write some songs for this girl to sing. And so she, she wrote that her, her writing was so different of how she constructed a song and the mel and the melodic sense that Lolomi had was really different. So Shaka being Shaka and being very unique in, in and of it, of herself, there that was a great marriage of a lyric writer and a vocalist, and then the sound underneath yeah. with Hawk Walensky and all that. So it's it's it has the stars have to align mm -hmm. too for that stuff to happen. And that's why I think Mother's Finest didn't get that. The kind of thing, but we were, our band was more like, we were into like the soundscape of things. We were like, like kind of like a science experiment <laughs> to do something, writing songs, but also we wanted it to sound different. We didn't know, just want it to be just funk. We wanted it to be not just rock, but kind of like a, a fusion of everything and bring that those all those elements together. So we we were doing something that was kind of different for people to grasp. But Rufus kind of like it all came together in Rufus in a in a cool way that made it very accessible for people. You know? Yeah. So well. it, it just worked different. But we I was friends and I respect, I love Shaka. Shaka came to meet me. When she came to LA, she came to Record Plant and waited for me and wanted to meet me and tell me what an inspiration I had been to them in Chicago before they ever made the got the Rufus opportunity to come out here and make records. Uh, you that's, know, that's great. 
Yeah, she came to, she was, I walked into record plant one day because I used to go there every day. And uh, Rose, Rose, um, who was the lady at the desk who ended up owning record plant said, that lady has been sitting there waiting for you for a couple of hours. And I went over and it was Shaka. And I had never met her, never heard of her before. And she goes, she actually had almost like she was teary-eyed to meet me. And I was like, wow. And then when I went to see her, she was ever gonna do a show at Maverick's Flats. Um, sorry, it's going by. When she, I went to see her at Maverick's Flats and I went like, when I heard her sing, I went like, whoa, this girl has got something special. She's gonna blow up this, she's gonna blow this up. And because she was this little tiny person with this incredible big voice, with this incredible range and this style and the way she delivered it. I said, yeah, she's got something special. She, you know? she, she happens to be my personal all-time favorite. Um, well, she's, <laughs> she's one of my all-time favorites. I mean, you know, I've never been jealous hearted of other singers that are good. Never. Because I want people say, oh, people tell me, oh, Maxanne, I can't hear you singing. You gave me chills and brought tears to my eyes. When I go and hear somebody sing, I want to feel that. I want to feel that. I love music and I want to feel that. Shaka has that. She makes me feel that. So I would be crazy to be jealous of her. I love her. You know what I mean? So it's crazy. I, I love Joyce Kennedy. They they have something that 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 makes me go like, woo, that was killer. You know, and I want I want to feel that too. What was also really cool, all those things you said, all those factors about Rufus and Shaka so on point and like some of the outside contributors like Ray Parker Jr. and Stevie Wonder yes. songs. But also the way Shaka would layer her own background vocals. Very cool. Yeah. And that was, and I will say that I was the first singer to do that, to sing my own background. And then that gave all these other people courage to do that. And they would all go like, how did you think of that? <laughs> Especially in the, in the days of analog. And I, when I first said that at Record Plant that I wanted to try that, they were like, um, well, you'd have to, it's going to be really hard because then you'd have to remember where you sang and exactly what you sang and you have to do this. And I'd go like, I could do that. And they said, I don't think you can, Maxanne. I said, well, can I try? And they let me try it and I did it. And I put all these vocals and all these harmonies there that hit so hard and so cool. They went down the hall and bought all these other engineers and people in the room and said, listen at this. And they played and they said, well, who are the other singers? They said, it's all her. And they said, how did you do that? I said, well, you count and you know where to come in. And you come in at that place. Because it was analog. There was there was no, no screen like Pro Tools where you could see it and say, okay, now, you know, like that. But I'm counting where I'm coming in and counting what I'm doing. And that's, and Shaka said, Shaka said I taught her how to do that. You know, wow. there you go. Yeah, uh, from the best. Um, I want to uh, just hold this up. This came out about a year ago, and it's got all three of the albums in it. And I want viewers to make sure to get this because it's a great, great set. Um, and also, there's a great booklet in it too that tells a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about uh, today. And you know, how does it feel? You know, when did you? When did you catch wind that this was going to be done? And how does it feel all these decades later to kind of be rediscovered again? Well, I, all these decades later, I was trying to, I wanted to always have this package done. And I got many along the way. This road has been long. Uh, I have was trying to fight for that to get done. And people would make me promises and they say they were going to do it. And then it would all fall apart. They wouldn't do it or they were like, oh, well, maybe not. And well, let me think about it. Maybe next year, maybe this. And I got, it was so frustrating and so disheartening. And I um, was, I, I have a friend and he's my manager as well. Alan Abraham, the, the Alan Abraham's company, the Abraham's company. He used to own a place called the, the Flying Jib and we used to work there 
I used to work there with Bobby Watson after Rufus broke up. The Rufus band was the band that I played with at at the Flying Jip. And we ended up building a huge following here in LA out there in Encino. And um, then Alan had also had a history of, uh, Alan Abrahams had a history of working for ABC and running the legal department and doing all these things. And then producing a lot of albums that he won Grammys and stuff for. I mean, he has a huge resume and he produced uh, and he worked with Joan Baez, he worked with, I mean, Lou Rawls, he worked with, you name it, Billy Preston, uh, Les McCann, the whole thing. He's did all these great things. And um, so he's he had moved away out of Los Angeles for a while, and now he, then he moved back. And I was telling him what I wanted to do, and I said, oh, and I'm so frustrated. All these, I've gotten so many promises that nobody keeps and i'm just so angry about it i'm so hurt that nobody feels that this needs to be uh documented i wanted it to be documented not just to be scattered and lost like so many things are in black music especially mm -hmm. uh, we have so many artists that were incredible made incredible contributions and we barely have a photo of them you know nothing has been nobody cared to document them Nobody followed them around with a camera. They didn't have access like you do with this this technology that we have now. And so it's. I think I did. I wrote a play once, a, a play for, that we put on at UCLA at Schoenberg Hall. It's called It's All Connected. And it was the story of the blues from Africa through the middle passages to now, to the present, and how it has connected, how all music is connected to that music. And what happened from that whole experience of, of African people being brought here as slaves and kidnapped people, and then the African-American community growing up and all the music and everything that was expressed through it. And I put this play on for African-American studies there that I wrote. And um, that doing that play, doing putting that all together, it's a walk through history and you look at the music from all the writers and singers and, and how much, when you start to look to document stuff and, and I wanted to talk about those people that had been sort of like lost in the shuffle of history. It was, it made me happy to be able to put them in and find what information I could, but then some people, there wasn't any information available and it made me feel really sad and it made me well it just just reinforced what i know how important it is to just document somebody's existence and their um contribution to it all uh i think somebody should be following people around like that are still with us that are here like that have you know like chick korea and and Harabee Hancock and, and and Quincy Jones and whoever is still here because their contribution is huge and you don't want it to be lost, you know, and nobody can even know how did he look, you know, what did he even do, you know. I'm glad that they did the stuff that they're doing now, the documentary on, on Quincy and that those kind of things. But as a rule, it's always just all lost. And nobody's keeping tabs and, and documenting this stuff. And so I wanted that, this package to come out. And so I had sort of just, I had been driving, trying to do it really for the last 15 years. And I really going at it and nobody being interested, nothing here, nothing there. Then somebody would nipple at it, no. And then, then or they wanted to buy it and then I don't own any and then lose my ownership of it. I was like, no. So then one day out of the blue, I get an email from a guy in London, a guy named Charles Donovan, who is a writer who ended up writing those liner notes. And Charles Donovan wrote to me and said he wanted to do an interview online. And I was like, oh, okay, this is odd. And so I did, but before I did the interview, he said he's been talking to this company about doing a reissue of my music that he thought it would, should be. Now, this is somebody in London. Nobody in America is doing this. <laughs> and so I, I was like, oh, this is going to be something else that's going to make me angry to myself. 
And I, so I just said, Alan, would you represent me? This guy, I'm just going to send this over to you and you can tell him, you can find out if he's for real. I just don't have it. I just don't have the heart to chase it down and do it. it I just can't. I'm, I have too many disappointments, too much craziness. He said, okay, I'll look into it. And he did. And he comes back a week later and says, these people are really serious. They want to do it. How do you want to do it? And I said, I want it to be first class. And I don't want it to be cheesy. I wanted to, I really wanted to have the credits there. I don't want it to just be some weirdness. I want it to be a package, like a real legacy package. And I want the people to be documented that took part in it, their little stories in it, you know, the whole thing. And he said, okay, I'm going to tell them that. That's what you want. And uh, the guy at Cherry Red Records said, sure, however you want it, Maxanne, you will put it together for you. And they wanted to do it. And I did the interview with, I did a live interview, just like I'm doing with you, with Charles Donovan. And the rest is history. And that package came together and um, I named it. I, I said, what do you want to, what is it, want to call it? And I called it Reloaded. And uh, that's it. That was, that was how it came about. And now it's been, it sold out on Amazon about 10 times. And uh, it's still selling on Amazon. And now they've released it in the Asian market. It's all throughout Asia now and South America, uh, uh, Asia and Australia and New Zealand. And my friends have been calling me saying they see it in the stores and see it on in different places and they, they can buy it and they can go online and buy it in China and different places. So I'm excited. Like so many other things that we've talked about, Maxanne, I mean, your perseverance paid off in a big way. Yeah, I, but I was like at the end. I will say, I just felt like I just don't have any anything. I'm I'm out of juice on it, you know. I've had so, I had so many disappointments, and I guess it was the darkest before dawn kind of scenario, and I was just like, uh, Alan, you can talk to these people. I can't even go down that road and get excited about it. I just I just can't. I don't even want to get my heart involved in it, you know, at all. Just if they're going to do it, they'll do it. If they don't, I just don't want it to be cheesy and, you know, that kind of thing. And they, and they actually did a great job. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful package. And I'm very proud of it. And and now I'm going to, I've got, I've still been writing and uh, we're going to be putting together some new music. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I know that you play, um, you play with a group called the Cookies, right? Right. Um, do you do, I know you do, um, I forgot the gentleman's name. I know Bobby Watson sometimes involved. Alan um, Hines. Yeah. Do you do any uh, Maxan songs or not? We do, we do Give Me Shelter and we're getting ready to gear up to do a lot more of, of the songs that we do, that I do. But we also do a very eclectic mashup mix because I got to pull them along into my Maxan mind meld. <laughs> And they love, they're loving, this group has been getting a lot of acclaim here because of what we do. Like you do, everything is so different. Everybody always notices that. And so we got, we have quite a nice following here now for that. So now we're going to play, we're going to go to Jakarta and we're going to play in Indonesia in March. We're going to play in New Orleans, the Jazz Fest. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. And so it's all happening so now we're working on uh, doing a new album as the cookies and and doing a thing with together with that so we're gonna, it's like the it's not it's not i wouldn't say it would be max ann but it is max ann because i'm in it but uh but it's definitely my uh, a huge part of my concept of how i like to do music and i've written a lot of songs i have a lot of music that we're going to be doing new music so, yeah. Did you know? I asked you about the, the Rufus and Mother's Finest. Also, though, thinking about the '80s and early '80s, a lot of female-fronted R&B groups, especially like rose to prominence, like Starpoint and Langstar and Midnight mm -hmm. Star, and yeah. all these kinds of things. Did you ever think about like getting back into something where you'd be in the in, in, more in the front, or or were you just really happy doing the background stuff? Well, I well, I'm well, I'm just in the cookies. I'm out front. Yes. That is a front position. But when I was 
when I worked with um, when I worked with Donna Summer and those, um, and I did a lot of background gigs. I started out thinking I was doing it out of fear of oh, doing it out of fear of um, not being able to make a living because we we stayed on the road all the time when we had the Max Fan Band. So that was our livelihood. Now the Maxan band has gone away. Oh, it's like, oh, what am I going to do? And that's why I say Leon and Mary Russell were very, very gracious to me. I was immediately on the road with them. So there was no stopgap. And I actually continued on. And, and I like singing background because it's a different skill. A lot of people, uh, I hated, I don't I want to say hate. I don't, that's a strong word. I would say I was disappointed with um, 20 feet from stardom for that reason. Because the, uh, the guy, Gil Friesen, who originally had the concept to do the 20 feet from stardom thing, wanted to tell the story of what, it, what background singers do and how important they are to, the, to the, the person who's standing out front. But that never ever got communicated and what, because Gil Friesen passed away in the middle of it. And then the people who were given the project to finish had no clue about what it was about. And they assumed that if you're singing background, it's because you're not good enough to be out front mm. and nothing can be farther from the truth. The people that are really good at like from the waters, people like that who work with Neil Young, Neil Diamond, Paul, uh, Paul Simon, those, the waters uh, singers, they're, they're a group of singers out of Pasadena, California. They're excellent. Um, they are not scrambling to be in the front because they are experts at what they do. And that skill of singing background is a skill that not everybody who's singing lead vocals can do. They can't sing in the background because they don't understand the concept of how it's gotta work. There's so many little quirks and, and nuances of that trade of people who really do that work and do a great job at it. They can also, for instance, I work with Gino Vanelli, and one of the things they, why they always liked me to sing with him and do things with him is because I could match his vibrato and I could match his timbre. So when we sang harmony together, it almost sounded like one voice. But that wasn't because Gino was so good at singing background, it's because I have a, that skill. And it was, it's a challenging skill to be able to do it. When you hear people that are out with people like Phil Collins, like those people like Bridget Bryant and, and Amy Keys and Arnold McCuller and, and um, Van, uh, what's his name? Um, Van. Van Morrison? Not Van Morrison. Uh, there's another guy that sings background. I'm just talking about great background singers oh. that have been around and they're doing this because they're so awesome that when you, that's the reason why people hire them a lot is because they make that music happen. And it's, it's really, if they weren't there, you would, it wouldn't be the same. It well, wouldn't I had be the Jim, same. Jim Gilstrap was on this show. He's done a ton of sessions. Jim, Jim, I've worked with Jim Gilstrap, another, that's a, he's a skilled guy and he can sing lead, but no, but, 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 but nobody sings what, what Gil, what Gil, what Jim Gilstrap can do. That's the reason why he's so sought after because he has a skill that is that people don't really understand how skillful you have to be to do that. And we've been on some of the biggest hits and how how it hits and what makes it work and the nuance of it. So when you hear it on the radio, you hear, hear how those parts work and you realize that it was really, it's like something that is, it's an art to it. There really is an art 
to singing background vocals and being excellent at it. So it's not just like, oh, I don't, I can't get in the front, so I got to sing the back. No, it's not yeah. that at all. Yeah. And people who do it really well and who are really excellent at it, they're not scrambling to be in the front to stand out there because, and this is the thing that, um, that uh, 20 feet from stardom missed. What do, what do background vocals do? They did not teach people that. I think when you do a documentary, it's supposed to teach people something and inform them. It didn't inform you at all about this thing. And in fact, they left out about a uh, hundred years of history. Where does it come from? How did it evolve? Why do you have background singers? What is the way? All these things. But it, the main answer to that question is, it gives the lead vocal a place to sit. It carves it out and leaves that space so that the lead vocal has a place to be. Because everything else is zooming around, the band is zooming around, but when the background vocals hit and the answer to that, or when the lead singer sings it and the background voices answer, it's like an affirmation to what you what the lead singer just said. So it's like this whole symbiotic relationship that needs to be there. If it wasn't there, then its song wouldn't have the impact. It would not be the same. Look at Gladys Knight and think about the pips. You know, why were the pips so important to Gladys Knight and the pips? Now Gladys Knight is an established artist and she doesn't have the pips anymore but I guarantee you she has some background singers mm -hmm. because her style, her, the way she, pre her presentation, she, that she needs that, that, that backup to be there. Not because she can't say, of course she can sing lead, but to have that comfort, that comfort place carved out for her to step in there and be Gladys in all her glory. You got to have that. So mm -hmm. You know, one of the uh, groups I'm most fond of is Parliament Funkadelic and P-Funk. If you look at their songs, the background vocals and the elaborate arrangements of them and things like that, and the kinds of like um, sometimes dissonance and different things going on, that is such a key element in making that music great. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I was the person I was trying to think of was Lamont Van Hook, who is another incredible singer who's singing background and who's out on the road with uh, Phil Collins. And th the reason they're there is because when you hear hear them, you go like, oh, it's incredible. I just went to a, a show um, where they did a tribute to Leon Ware mm -hmm. and his music and all of his writing. And uh, it was at the Nate Holden Theater and those singers were there. Bridget Bryant and some other singers and Lamont Van Hook and incredible. And they were singing and they were, uh, Dorian Holly, I mean, you know, Daryl Fennessy, Will Wheaton. I can tell you who these people are. Alex Brown. I mean, these people are, to me, they are, um, they are those people who are un, when, you talk, when you say unsung, they are truly unsung because they have been on some of the biggest hits and sang some of the most magical lines that make those songs memorable and stand out in your mind. And, in, and you remember it uh, forever. You remember those, those lines that they sang because they were so good at it. And they still are. So that I wanted to make sure I just acknowledge them because they're my friends and they're people that I work with a lot and I love all of them and they're Lynn, Lynn Fedmont and just just the incredible people. Just the two incredible. messages there. Respect the background singer and don't pity the background singer. That's right. They're not to be pitied. Yeah. They're, be, they're to be respected yeah. and revered for the skills that they actually, the people who do it really well, like Arnold McCuller and all those people, believe me, that is a skill that not just everybody can jump up there and go like, oh, I'm gonna be singing those in background over here with, no, not 
true. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, so you need some real people to be there and, and, and who can really know how to really set it where it's not overpowering, but if it wasn't there, you'd miss it, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this has been a lot of fun, Maxanne, and educational as well as informative and just, you know, great stories and had a great time talking with you. Um, well, it's really been fun, Scott, and thank you so much for having me. And I'm, uh, I apologize for my time being so crazy, and and this has been the holiday and just crazy, and I'm still got crazy bills. I was trying to have a not so busy schedule, but I stay stay pretty busy doing a lot of great things, and I don't I don't complain because um, I love what I do, and it never gets old, and um, I, I love it. I still love it. And I love the challenge of walking in and capturing a song and, and putting something great on it, whether I'm singing lead or background or whatever. And I still like writing music and I love performing live. Still like it all. So that's what it's all about. Totally. Yeah. Um, I still how, love it. Still doing it. So how, how can people keep up with what you're up to? Well, I'm on Facebook and I'm on, I, I'm actually on, I have a, a Instagram, but I don't go on Instagram so much because I don't know, I don't have a lot of time to sit online. And I just think some of that stuff takes too much time. So I need to be more active on it. Everybody goes, oh, you gotta be on there. I am on Facebook. And um, because, and but a lot of people find me on Facebook because I also still teach vocals and people wanna know about that. So I am the vocal architect. But um, uh, I'm also just Maxanne Lewis. You can find me on there. And uh, people write to me and just to say, I love your music. I love where can I buy your record? And people are still buying that package that you just held up. Um, so I'm accessible and people can get in touch with me. I, I have to say that I really liked um, the other program, the other platform that came out before Facebook. Um, Oh, MySpace? MySpace. I liked MySpace a lot because you could put your music there and mm -hmm. do this kind of personal, personalize your page and that kind of thing. People could visit your page and do those kind of things. I like that. I think that, and it, the other thing is that it wasn't mean. Like Facebook has a lot of mean people. I mean, doing all kinds of trolling and doing all this. MySpace didn't have that. <laughs> people weren't trolling people and being mean and, and doing those kind of things. I mean, Facebook is popular, but I, I still like MySpace better. Uh, MySpace was definitely more artist friendly, I think. That's what I mean. And I think we still need to develop that, a more artist friendly I think I want to. I would like for MySpace to, or something like it, to come back that lends itself to that. Uh, I think we still need our own space for that. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I wish you continued success, and make sure and let me know when you got something coming out. I absolutely will because it's going to be something good, and I think you're going to like it. And I think okay. the fans and people who have liked Maxan. Of all this through the years, I think they'll love it because the I like the songs I'm writing and and uh, I I think and I believe you never stop growing and learning and in learning new things and uh, that enhance who you are and who that things that resonate with you. Not that you jump out of your skin and become something different, but that you find things that still add to your to your quotient. Well, we brought up Jim Gilstrap and what really impressed me about him, among many things, really, but was that at where he's at his career life, he's putting a lot of time and effort into progressing as a piano player. Yeah. So, I mean, he never wants to stop growing. Yeah, you can keep learning stuff. And I, that is excellent because I want to progress more as a keyboard player. I want to play more. And I can play pretty okay. I'm, I play pretty good to write my songs and stuff, but I really want to be better. I know that I can be better. So yeah, that's, yeah. I'm, I admire him and respect him for wanting to do it because that means you have to spend time to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and happy, it's fun. 
Happy 2019. And uh, thank you so much. Happy New Year, Scott, and to all your fans out there. Thank you so much for being a part of my journey. And I hope that you'll follow me and like some of the new stuff that I'm doing and just check it out when it comes out. And I will let you know, Scott, I'll, you'll be one of the first people. Hey there. I hope you made it all the way through with this one to its conclusion. If you did, I'm sure you're very glad because the payoff was priceless with Max Ann Lewis opening up her heart and sharing her incredible spirit. Yes, she is a terrific talent, but also a survivor with a backstory worthy of a legend. An enormous thanks again to Max Ann for her generosity of both time and unforgettable tales. Also, as always, a sincere thank you to you, the viewer who supports this program in watching it on YouTube, listening to it on iTunes and other podcast providers. Thank you so much. Speaking of which, if you haven't done so already, subscribe. What are you waiting for? Haven't you seen enough yet to win you over? All you got to do is click on subscribe and you're in like Flint, as they say. Or I've heard that it's actually in like Flint. So either way, uh, subscribe if you haven't already done so. The Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube gets you everything you need. You'll see shows ahead of everyone else. You can also get the uh, Truth and Random Quick Take excerpts, which are like little history lessons. Tell friends, tell family, we need that support. Show that you love the music that these artists have given you in funk, R&B, soul, jazz. Along with that, bring feedback. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know what you like, who else you'd like to see on the show, what you appreciate, what you think could be improved. Any feedback is welcome. A lot of it's coming in, and it's great. So this is your show, so help make it as you want it to be. And with that, as always, with a cold, but hanging in there, Scott Dr. G. Skullfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. 